Good morning, Yesanga. Today is uh, the 3rd of June in the year 2012, and we are on our third day of uh, the 21-day retreat, the science of the Buddha. We are in the lower hamlet of Plum Village and in the meditation hall called Assembly of Stars. Yesterday we have learned uh, the four exercises on mindful breathing that have to do with our body. And with these four exercises we can very well take care of our body. Uh, to give our body nourishment and healing. And the first one is uh, to be with our in-breath and our out-breath. The second is uh, to follow our in-breath and out-breath all the way through. The third one is to be aware of our body And the fourth is to calm the body, to release the tension in body. Uh, today uh, we learn uh, four more exercises of mindful breathing. And the fifth one is uh, how to generate a joyful feeling. Generating joy. And the sixth is how to generate happiness. We know, we see very clearly that uh, the practice of Buddhism is about happiness. And a good practitioner, a yogi, a yogini, should be able to bring in, to create, to generate a feeling of joy and happiness, whatever she wants, whenever she wants, wherever she uh, she wants. And we already know how. Uh, with mindfulness and concentration and insight, we can very well generate a feeling of joy to nourish ourselves. And to generate a feeling of happiness uh, uh, whenever we want. We know that when we begin to breathe in mindfully, we bring our mind home to our body, and suddenly we are fully present in the here and the now. And established in the here and the now, we are able to recognize the many conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. More than enough for us to be happy. You know that the French has a very uh, good song called uh, Why do you wait in order to be happy? You can be happy right now, right here. Because when you are home to the here and the now, you discover that so many conditions of 
happiness available already. You don't have to go to the future and look for some more conditions of happiness. And these conditions of happiness are more than enough. And that is why mindfulness that can help us go home to the here and the now and recognize all these conditions of happiness are already there. That, uh, that can already uh, help us to generate a feeling of joy. Suppose you say, breathing in, I'm aware of my eyes. And your mindfulness is focused on your eyes. And you, when you are truly focusing on your eyes, you find out very quickly that your eyes are still in good conditions. You only need to open your eyes in order to get in touch with the paradise of forms and colors that is available in the here and the now. For those of us who have lost our eyesight, we don't have that pleasure. And our deepest desire may be to be able to see things again. But uh, breathing in just in one or two seconds, and uh, getting in touch with our eyes, we can uh, already find out that is already an insight that my eyes are there in good conditions. And that is one condition of happiness. Because you have eyes still in good condition, the paradise of forms and colors is for you. So happiness can be there right away. There are many wonders like that within your body and around you. And mindfulness is the kind of energy that helps you to identify these conditions of happiness that are already available in the here and the now. And that is why the Buddha offers us a teaching on living happily in the present moment. Living happily in the present moment. Drista Dharma Sukha Vihara. Vihara means dwelling, living. Sukha means happily. Dwelling happily in the present moment. Drista Dharma is what is happening in the here and the now. And mindfulness is the kind of energy that helps us to be aware of what is happening in the here and the now. There are many wonders. And as soon as you touch the here and the now with all the wonders of life, you can generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness right away for your transformation and healing and nourishment. So a good practitioner should be able to generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness whenever she wants, whenever he wants. And she doesn't need to run into the future and look for more conditions of happiness. Hiang Pháp Lạc Trú Hiang Pháp means uh, what, what is there, the present moment. Lạc Trú means dwelling happily. Uh, in the in the 
Marama Nikaya, Mashima Nikaya, there is a sutra. Uh, the Buddha uh, uh, was talking to a group of businessmen. A few hundreds of them coming to see him. And he saw that uh, businessmen, they think a little bit too much about the future, the success. So that day the Buddha said that, gentlemen, it is possible for you to be happy right here and right now. You don't have to run into the future and looking for happiness. And he thought that uh, uh, that uh, sutra for the businessman and the expression living happily in the present moment, Rista Dharma Sukha Vihara, was repeated four times, at least four times in the sutra. And another way of, uh, of uh, generating joy and happiness, allowing joy and happiness to come, is to the practice of releasing. There are many things that you think that are essential for your happiness, but maybe they are not. Maybe they are obstacles for your happiness. You might think that uh, to have more fame can make, make you happier. You might think that this, uh, you, uh, to have uh, more money more power will make you happy. More sex will make you happy. You are caught by these ideas. And that is why you may be tempted to run after these, uh, these objects of your desire. And many of us are running after these objects and suffer very deeply. And that is why we release them to let go of that idea that happiness cannot be without fame and power and wealth and sex. And that is why let go, releasing, is a source of happiness. And in Buddhism, we speak of joy and happiness generated by the act of releasing. Uh, the Chinese uh, uh, expression is li xin thi This is a joy, and this is happiness. Joy and happiness are born from the act of releasing. Let go. This is done very quickly. If you are released, if you are able to release that, you can be happy right away. You don't have to go anywhere to get happiness. One day the Buddha was sitting with his monks, and the farmer went by. He stopped and asked, my, my dear monks, have you seen my cows going through here? The Buddha said, what cows? He said, that, well, I have uh, a number of cows, but I don't know why this morning they all run away. They have run away. I cannot find them. And I have uh, a few acres of sesame seed plant, and the insects eat them all. So I think uh, I'm going to kill myself. And the Buddha said, uh, Dear friend, you have not seen your cows passing over here. You may like to go and look for them in the other, in the other direction. And after 
the farmer who is gone, the Buddha turned back to his monks, looking at them and smiled. And he said, my dear friends, you are very lucky. You don't have any cows to lose. <laughs> so the techniques, the secret is how to release your cows. So if you are a good practitioner, take a sheet of paper and write down the names of your cows on the sheet of paper. <laughs> and try to release them. The more re- you release, the happier you become. And that is... Uh, the techniques provided by the Buddha. So happiness and joy born from releasing, happiness and joy are born from, from mindfulness. Mindfulness can give birth to joy and happiness. And also, concentration can give birth also to joy and happiness. And that is why Buddhism can be described as uh, the practice of happiness. You know that uh, last year, in the month of uh, July, in the United Nations, uh, 68 countries came and sponsored uh, a, a meeting called uh, the Meeting on Happiness. And uh, a resolution was passed. It's called uh, the resolution on happiness. The idea is that uh, if you think of uh, well-being of uh, of uh, the general um, domestic product, uh, it's most important. You have to 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 reflect again because uh, you have to create a kind of science called the science of happiness. And the United Nations has commissioned uh, a research called Research of uh, Happiness. And uh, instead of uh, talking about uh, um, general uh, domestic uh, product, uh, national domestic product, you, you, you can talk about national uh, a happiness uh, uh, product. Gross national happiness, that is. The event was organized after a UN resolution on happiness, which was co-sponsored by 68 countries, was adopted by consensus in July 2011. 
the happiness resolution stated that gross domestic product alone is not an adequate measure of human prosperity and that a more inclusive, equitable and balanced approach is needed to promote uh, sustainability, eradicate poverty and enhance uh, well-being. And uh, and uh, a report uh, commissioned by the UN conference shows that how a new science of happiness is able to measure people's well-being, and that is uh, called a World Happiness Report. And uh, two months ago, on the second of uh, of uh, April, there was a meeting, another meeting at the UN and convened by the Prime Minister of Bhutan, a Mahayana Buddhist uh, uh, country in the Himalaya. And 68 uh, uh, government were present. And they discussed about the theme of um, happiness and well-being, defining a new economic uh, paradigm. That is a high-level United Nations meeting on happiness and uh, marking a significant step toward governments placing well-being uh, at the right place. Well-being at the heart of economic growth, economic progress. Because uh, even if you are, you have a lot of money. Uh, if you even if you have a lot of power and money, and fame, you can still suffer very deeply. And in fact, uh, we have seen many people who have plenty of these things: power, fame, uh, and uh, wealth. They commit suicide. But the science of happiness has to do with the science of uh, suffering. Because we have learned that between suffering and happiness, there is a very strong connection. And suffering, ill-being in Buddhism, <coughs> is considered to be a holy truth. And you might like to ask, uh, what is uh, so holy about suffering? And the fact is that if you do not <coughs> look into that uh, holy truth, uh, you cannot see how uh, happiness could be created. So a deep understanding of uh, suffering, of uh, ill-being, uh, help you to understand how to create a true happiness. We continue that a little bit later, but we should continue with uh, <clears throat> the exercise of mindful breathing. The seventh exercise is uh, how to the seven and the eight is how to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion. Uh, the seven is uh, to be with uh, a painful feeling. It means that while breathing in, you 
generate energy of mindfulness, and you recognize the pain in you, the suffering in you, the ill-being in you. Without the power of mindfulness, without the energy of mindfulness, you may be overwhelmed by your pain. But if you are a practitioner, you can generate the, 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 the energy of mindfulness, and with that uh, energy of mindfulness, you can go home to yourself, and you, have, uh, you are strong enough in order to recognize the pain in you and to help embrace the pain in you tenderly and listen to it. So the seven is to be with your pain. And this can be practiced uh, with a group of people because a group of people can generate a stronger collective uh, energy of happiness, of uh, mindfulness, and you can borrow, you can make good use of that collective energy in order to embrace, to help embrace your pain. And uh, the eight is about uh, releasing, calming the pain. And if you look back at the <clears throat> third and fourth exercise, you see very much the same thing. The third is to be with your body. And when you are with your body, you may notice that there is uh, stress, tension, pain in your body. And that is why you practice the fourth in order to help release the tension and reduce the pain in your body. So the same thing is true in the realm of feelings. The seventh exercise is to be with the painful feeling, the painful emotion, just to recognize it, not trying to suppress or cover it up, but just to be with it. And if you know how to do that with mindful breathing, uh, you can calm your pain. And later on, there are exercises that can help you transform that pain into something else. So we see very clearly that in the Buddhist tradition, uh, practitioners learn how to handle happiness and how to handle pain. And these two things are deeply connected. If you know how to do this, you will know how to do that, and vice versa. Shakyamuni Buddha was uh, only 35 when he first shared his, uh, his uh, teaching and practice. And the first Dhamma talk he gave is about four, the Four Noble Truths and the path uh, of uh, uh, building happiness and transforming suffering. And uh, in that first Dhamma talk, he talked about the Four Noble Truths. And the first one is uh, uh, ill-being, dukkha. And uh, the Buddha practiced in order to find out the way to handle suffering and to transform the suffering. 
That is why the first thing <coughs> that we have to pay attention to is uh, the pain, the sorrow, the ill-being in us. And when you look deeply into uh, the pain, the ill-being, you will find a second noble truth, which is the making of ill-being. The making of ill-being. How ill-being is made. Uh, the path that leads to ill-being. Uh, the path leading to ill-being. When we look into ill-being, we will see the ingredients that have uh, come together in order to produce ill-being. It's like uh, fanaticism, intolerance, discrimination, a craving, anger, despair, and so on. And in the Buddhist uh, literature, the second noble truth is sometimes described is described in terms of uh, consumption. The Buddha said that nothing can survive without food, ill-being also. If uh, suffering continues to be because you keep feeding your ill-being, keep be keeping your suffering. Suppose you have a depression. Depression is a form of ill-being. And your practice is to look deeply into that depression and find out what kind of uh, nutriment you have used in order to, to make it possible, to nourish it. The Buddha said that what has come to be if you know how to look deeply into it and identify the source of nutriment that has brought it in, you are already on the way of liberation. So recognizing the second noble truth in terms of consumption of uh, nutriment is already halfway of transformation and healing. So the second noble truth can be described as the path leading to your being are the kind of uh, uh, nutriment that has uh, made uh, ill-being possible. After having seen the kind of nutrients you have used in order to feed your ill-being, you just cut it off, and your ill-being will have to die. Nothing can survive without food, including your love. If you don't feed your love properly, it will die. Your suffering also, if you stop feeding your suffering, it will have to die. And how? That is why we need the fourth noble truth. The fourth noble truth is a path leading to the cessation of ill-being. And you can see this noble truth only after you have seen the second noble truth. 
after having real, uh, recognized the path leading to ill being, you decide not to take that path anymore. After recognizing the kind of nutriment that has brought you ill being, you decide to stop that kind of uh, consu- consumption. And uh, when you practice looking into your being, you see the truth of uh, the path of uh, leading to your being, and the path leading to the cessation of your being will also uh, emerge. And uh, the third is, of course, the cessation of your being. It means the, mm, the beginning or the presence of uh, the, ab- the absence of your being. It means the presence of well-being. So the Four Noble Truths is about suffering and happiness. When light is not there, darkness will come. When darkness is no, more, is no longer there, light is there. The same is true with ill-being and well-being. When, when ill-being is no longer present, something else will be present that is well-being. And uh, the path leading to the cessation of your being uh, can be described uh, as uh, the path of practice. The Noble Eightfold Path, which is a very concrete, uh, concrete uh, practice in order to eradicate uh, ill-being, in order to bring in well-being. And uh, we all know that uh, one element of the path is uh, right view. Right view is a kind of insight that this kind of uh, deep vision that help you to think, to speak, and to act uh, in the right way. Right view is the foundation of uh, right thinking. Of uh, right speech and of right action. Right thinking is the thinking that is free from discrimination, free from anger, from fear. From illusion. And when you produce a thought in alignment with right thinking, that thought will begin to heal you and heal the world. If you produce a thought full of discrimination and hate and despair and anger, 
that thought begin to destroy your body, your mind, and destroy the world. And that is why it's very important to learn how to produce thoughts in the line of right thinking. But can you can do that only when you have right view. And right view is something you attain, you obtain only with the practice of mindfulness and concentration. Next to right view is right mindfulness, uh, right concentration. And next to right concentration is right mindfulness. Right view. This is the energy that you can generate by the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, and so on. And the energy of uh, mindfulness carries within herself the energy of concentration. The more we are mindful, the more we are concentrated. And when our mindfulness and concentration are powerful, we can make a breakthrough and we get the insight. That insight has the power to liberate. And we are liberated from discrimination, fear, anger, hate, and despair. And with the, that foundation of right view, every thought we produce will be on the line of right thinking. Everything we say will be on the line of right uh, speech. And everything we do will be on the, on the line of uh, right action. And there is only two more elements of the path, which is uh, right livelihood, and right delusions. And we know very well that without the practice of mindfulness and concentration, we cannot get the right view. And without the right view, our thinking will not be right. Our speech will not be right. And we will produce a lot of uh, suffering for us, for other people. It's simple enough. So the five mindfulness trainings that uh, we receive and practice are very concrete expression of the path, of the eight noble path. It reflects right view. And uh, right view is the foundation of, uh, of, uh, of everything. And you might like to ask, what is right view? A monk uh, in the time of Buddha, his name is uh, Katyayana, Kakayana. He came to ask Buddha, Dear teacher, you often speak about right view. What is right view exactly? And the Buddha gave the answer in the Sutra called uh, 
the sutra on the middle way. I think it, the sutra is uh, available in a shant, Blomley Shantin book. Next week, by, um, by uh, Thursday, we have a booklet of 88 pages. We have the sutras we need for this uh, retreat. The printing house said that uh, we have it ready by... Uh, and we have uh, all the sutra texts that we can refer to uh, in this retreat. Uh, we have uh, also the Chinese uh, origin, the Sanskrit origin, and so on. And in that sutra, the Buddha told Katyayana, right view is a kind of view that is free from the notion of being and non-being. And the Buddha said, many people in the world, they are caught by the notion of being and non-being. That, I, that is why they do not have a right view. The, <clears throat> the Noble Eightfold Path can be described as uh, Buddhist ethics, the practice of uh, Buddhist ethics that can bring about happiness and transform suffering. Everything you do in terms of right thinking, right speech, right action, etc., will bring happiness and transform suffering. But what you do is based on your view. Right view is the kind of view that is uh, that transcends the notion of being and non-being. And that is why uh, right view is uh, the, the, the meta-ethics, the metaphysical ground of uh, ethics. And that is why in the tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, we have to practice mindfulness and concentration in order to get the right view. And uh, there are many uh, forms of concentrations that can help us get the right view. And we will have a chance to learn about this concentration, especially the concentration on uh, emptiness, the concentration on uh, signlessness, and the concentration on aimlessness. Suppose you draw a line from left and right, representing time. And suppose you take uh, one point on that line to be to be point B the birth of something our own birth and as soon as we choose uh, we pick up one point we call it B discrimination begins to to manifest You are born at this point, and you think that uh, before point B, you did not exist. You do not exist before B. 
you begin to exist only from B. And you continue until you come to point D, where you die. And uh, most of us think in that way. We think that to be born means from nothing you become something. From no one you become someone. That's our way of thinking. And the Buddha said that is not right thinking. Our definition of birth is from the realm of non-being, you pass into the realm of being. So the segment ending by B represents non-being. And the segment beginning with B represents being. And you continue being until you come to point D. And then you have to pass from the realm of being into the realm of non-being again. And that kind of thinking is described by the Buddha as wrong thinking. Uh, reality, the ultimate reality, transcends the notion of being and non-being, and transcends the notion of birth and death. Birth and death, being and non-being, are creation of our mind. And this is uh, the beginning of uh, the Buddha's science on happiness. Let us uh, meditate on a cloud. Today, there are clouds on the sky. But this afternoon, or tomorrow, the cloud may disappear. And we have a blue sky. And we may speak about the dying of a cloud. The question I would like to ask is whether a cloud can die. Can a cloud die? Can a cloud pass from the realm of being into the realm of non-being? The answer is no, because it is impossible for a cloud to become nothing, to pass from the realm of being into non-being. A cloud can become the rain or the snow or the ice, but a cloud can never become nothing. So we have to conclude that it is impossible for a cloud to die. That very true nature of the cloud is the nature of no, no death. The cloud does not have to fear dying. And we also, as humans, it is impossible for us to die. It, even if you want to die, it's impossible for you to die. <laughs> Let us uh, meditate a little bit on the birth of a cloud. 
The cloud has not come from the realm of non-being. Before manifesting herself as a cloud, she had been something else. She had been the water in the ocean. She had been the heat of the sunshine and so on. She has not come from the realm of non-being. And to say that she, she has come from the realm of non-being, that's wrong. And uh, when she manifests as a cloud, that is only a continuation. And that is why the nature of the cloud is the nature of no birth and no death. And the notion of birth and death cannot be applied to a cloud or to anything, including ourselves. And if we can remove the notion of being and non, uh, of, uh, of birth and death, and then the notion of being and non-being are removed also. Because birth, according to our thinking, our wrong thinking, is from the realm of non-being, you pass into the realm of being. And to die means from the realm of being, you pass into the realm of non-being. And if you remove the notion of birth and death, you remove at the same time the notion of being and non-being. And if you can do that with your intuition, you get the right view. Because you see things, you see the world, you see yourself in the light of no birth and no death, no being and no non-being. So next time when you drink your tea, you might look deeply into the tea and you, you can talk to the cloud, to your cloud. My dear cloud, I know you are still there in a new form. It's not possible for you to die. And when you drink your tea, you drink your cloud. Antoine uh, Lavoisier said something very close. Rien ne se Nothing is born, nothing dies. Exactly what uh, we, we see in the Heart Sutra. The nature of everything is the nature of no birth and no death. Birth and death, being and non-being, are just creation of our mind. All these notions cannot be applied to reality. Some uh, Christian theologians describe God as the ground of being. That's not a good way to describe God. 
Because if God is the ground of being, who will be the ground of non-being? God the ultimate transcends both the notion of being and non-being. And therefore, to be or not to be, that is not the question. <laughs> because reality, the ultimate, transcends both the notion of being and non-being. We can consider B as um, the beginning of the cosmos, of the universe. The Big Bang. Big Bang. And you might think that before the point, the cosmos did not exist. And after the Big Bang, the cosmos continued until it arrived at point D. It is the big crunch. <laughs> and then the universe, the cosmos, will pass into the realm of non-being. According to the Buddha, that's not right thinking. Because uh, reality transcends both the notion of uh, birth and death, being and non-being. So when we look into uh, a cloud and with mindfulness and concentration, if we are concentrated enough, we will touch the nature of no birth and no death in a cloud. And we can see the cloud as it is and not uh, a mental construction. Everything we see in terms of uh, being and non-being, birth and death, is a mental construction. That is why uh, nirvana is the absence, the removal of all notions, including the notion of uh, being and non-being, birth and death. Suppose we speak about uh, a flame. Let us uh, do some meditation on the being and the non-being of a flame. This is uh, a mesh box. And we may see the flame, a flame hitting in the mesh box. Shall we identify our little flame as something belonging to the realm of non-being now? Because we don't, see, we don't see the flame yet. And that is why we think that the flame is not there. But looking deeply, we see all the conditions for the flame to manifest are already there. Not only inside with the box, but also outside with the box. Outside of the box, there is oxygen. Without oxygen, a flame cannot manifest itself. So we know very well, and we can already begin to talk to the flame. My dear little flame, we know that you do not belong to the realm of non-being. You are already there. I don't need a sign, a mark, in order to recognize you. 
why don't you manifest for us? And the flame, if we listen deeply, we can hear the answer of the flame. Dear Thay, dear Sangha, I'm ready to manifest. <laughs> All the conditions are sufficient now. We need, I need the last condition, a movement of your fingers. So we are going to provide the flame with that last condition so that she can manifest to us as a sign. And now shall we ask the question, Dear, my dear little flame, do you belong to the realm of being or do you belong to the realm of non-being? Where have you come from? Have you passed from the realm of non-being to the realm of being? My dear little flame, where have you come from? That is a good question. And if you listen carefully, you will hear something like this. Yetai de Sangha, I have not come from anywhere. I have not come from the south, neither from the south, nor from the north, nor from the east, nor from the west. My nature is no coming. When conditions are sufficient, I manifest. I do not come, I have not come from anywhere. And that is why we recognize that uh, no coming is also the true nature of the flame, or of the cloud, or of the cosmos. It does not come from anywhere. When conditions are sufficient, it manifests. To manifest is an expression that can transport reality better than to be born. In Buddhism, there is a school of thought called the school of manifestation only. You are not a creation. You are only a manifestation. You are free of, of birth and death. You are free from being and non-being. Now should we ask another question, my dear little flame, where have you gone? And we, end, we hear, dear Thayde Sangha, I have not gone anywhere. I have not gone to the south. I have gone, not gone to the north or the east. When conditions are no longer sufficient, I stop manifestation to manifestation in a different way. And we know that the flame is right. Her nature is no coming, no going. Her nature is non-local. So the ultimate reality is free both from the notion of birth and death, the notion of uh, being and non-being, the notion of coming and going. So questions like where the universe come from, 
where the universe will go to. What happens after we die? Where we shall go? All these questions should be asked in the light of the insight, of the right insight, right view. And there is another pair of opposite. Now we have two flames. Now we should ask the second flame. My dear little flame, are you the same with the other flame? Or you are a different one? And if uh, we listen carefully, we hear this, Dear Thayde Sangha, I am neither the same with the other flame, I am not a different flame either. And that is true. Because every, everything is changing. And we have uh, at least four pairs of opposite. Birth and death. Being and non-being. Coming and going, sameness, otherness, when you look into the family album, you can see your picture when you were five years old. And looking at that five-year-old girl, you ask the question, am I the same with that little girl, or am I a totally different person? You are quite different from the baby, the, the young, the five-year-old girl. In form, in feelings, in perceptions, in mental formations, in consciousness, you are quite different. You have grown up into a 30-year-old lady, 40-year-old uh, gentleman, and you are quite different from the little boy or the little girl. And the question you pose, you ask, I, I, am I the same with that little boy, little girl, or I am a totally different person? So the answer is not the same but not a different one. That is the middle way. 
and the teaching of the Buddha is the teaching on middle way, condensing all pairs of opposite. And right view is the view reflecting the middle way. In, uh, we are advised to look deeply into the Four Noble Truths in that kind of insight. You have to see that uh, when we look into the truth of ill-being, we can see the path leading to ill-being. We can see also the cessation of ill-being, namely well-being and we can see the path leading to the cessation of ill-being. It is like when you look at a lotus flower, you have to see everything that has come together in order to make the lotus flower. And looking into ill-being, you have not seen the three other truths, you have not seen ill-being either. And that is the practice. Suppose you look at uh, this uh, rose. And looking deeply with mindfulness and concentration, you discover the fact that a rose is made only of non-rose elements. You see a cloud inside. There is no the cloud inside the rose does not have the form of a cloud, but she's well in the, in the flower. If you remove the cloud from, from the flower, the flower collapses. And the flower, the flower still interacting, is still interacting with, with cloud, inside and outside. Looking into the rose, you see the sunshine. There is no form, sign of sunshine that you can recognize, but you know that sunshine is there, inside of the rose. And if you remove the sunshine, the rose collapses. And if you continue, you see the earth, the mineral, even your consciousness, because the rose is, first of all, an object of your consciousness. A rose might be a mental construction only if you are caught by the outer appearance. So we can conclude that a rose is made only of, a, of non-rose elements. And if we remove the non-rose elements, there is no rose left. The whole cosmos have come together in order to help the rose to manifest as a wonder. And in the rose, you see the whole cosmos. You see 
Mother Earth, you see Father Sun, you see the stars, every, everything in the cosmos, in the rose. And if you can get in touch with the rose deeply, you get in touch with the whole cosmos. The rose is full of the cosmos. It is only empty of a separate existence. Lavoisier comes very close. He said, Rien ne secret. Nothing is born. There is no birth. Rien ne secret. Nothing can die, including our cloud. Tout se transforme. Everything changes. And we see the teaching of impermanence. We see the teaching of no birth and no death. But if you accept these three propositions, you have to accept the fourth. Nothing has its own existence. Rien n'a d'existence propre. Because this, this truth can be seen already in this one, in this one, and this one. A flower can not be by herself alone. Nothing can be by itself alone, including the cloud. She has to interbe with everything else. She's empty of a separate existence, empty of self-nature. Svabhava. When we say that things are empty, it means they are empty of a separate existence. They are empty of self-nature, empty of own being, own being. So the concentration called the concentration of, uh, of emptiness Shunyata is a kind of practice that can help us break through and get the right view. And the second kind of concentration that can help us is the 
concentration of signlessness. We perceive things because they have a sign. We, we call it a rose because uh, it has a sign of a rose. The scented word sums down. means perception. It also means uh, a sign, a, a designation, a conventional designation. <coughs> a name, a sign, a perception. We have a very beautiful Chinese word for perception. Below here, you have the word uh, mind. And above here, you have the word sign. Your mind caught that sign, and you have a perception. And if that sign is not there, there is no perception. But looking into the flower, you know very well that the sign line is there, but there is no sign of sunshine. You know that a cloud is there, but there is no, no cloud in its usual form. You have to see the cloud and the sunshine without form. You don't need a form in order to recognize a thing. And that is uh, the practice of uh, signlessness. Suppose we, 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 we speak of uh, a cloud in our meditation hall. We don't see any cloud here. But that does not mean that a cloud is not here. There's a lot of cloud here. We are breathing out a lot of cloud. <laughs> in the air, there's a lot of uh, humidity. There's a part of vapor. The cloud is well here. It needs some uh, cold... Uh, 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 atmosphere to get in touch with and then a, a cloud will manifest in a way that you can see it. So perception means you need a sign. And when the sign is there, you believe that it is, it belongs to the realm of being. When the sign is not there, you do not conceive it and you qualify it as belonging to the realm of non-being. That is wrong thinking.
And the third uh, concentration you may like to practice is the concentration on aimlessness. Aimlessness in the Sanskrit uh, term, it means uh, apranihita. Apranihita means you don't place something in front of you and run after that. There's no aim, no running after anything. It's like uh, a wave on the surface of the ocean. As a wave... uh, you can be described as having a beginning, an end. You can describe uh, a wave in terms of uh, going up, going down, being or non-being, high or low, more or less beautiful, beginning and ending. But it is very possible for a wave to live her life at the same time as the water. She can live the life of a wave and to live the life of uh, water at the same time. The moment when the wave realizes that she is water, she is free from all fear, all desire, all dissemination, all suffering, no complex whatsoever. Because uh, these, uh, these notions of uh, beginning, ending, going up, going down, higher, lower, being and non-being, can be ascribed only to the wave. But these notions cannot be applied to water. And when the wave realizes she is water, she loses all her suffering. She is no longer afraid of anything. She enjoys going up. She enjoys joy going down. Her nature is the nature of not going up, not going down, not beginning, not ending, not being and not a non-being. She can get rid of these uh, ideas and notions. She is free from all notions and that is why she can be truly happy. But the wave doesn't have to go and look for water. She is water in the here and the now. So as a practitioner, we don't have to go and look for anything, including no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no being, no non-being, because that is the ground, our own ground. And that is, uh, in Buddhism, we call nirvana, the state of uh, coolness, the state of uh, non-suffering. And that is why 
practicing mindfulness and concentration, not only we can nourish ourselves and heal ourselves, but we can make a breakthrough in order to get the right view that will liberate us from all kind of fear and discrimination and anger. And that is why we can produce uh, the kind of thinking that can be healing and nourishing for us and for the world, the kind of speech that can be healing and nourishing for us and for the world, and so on. And uh, what is uh, the definition of a human being? Uh, In Buddhism, we say that uh, we are made of our own action. And action are of three aspects, thinking, speech, and, and physical action. The French uh, philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said something very close. He said that l'homme est la somme de ses actes. Man is uh, the totality of his action. And action here has three aspects. Producing thought, producing speech, and producing action. And uh, in Buddhism, the word for action is uh, karma. When we produce a thought, that is already action. A thought of hate, of despair, can lead us to committing suicide or killing another person. A thought of compassion and non-discrimination can begin to heal us and heal the world. So that is the first kind of action, just thinking. And a good practitioner is capable of generating, of producing many thoughts like that during the day. Thoughts of non-discrimination, thoughts of compassion, forgiveness, that will help heal him, heal her, and heal the world. And uh, she can do that because she already has right view. She is liberated from all these notions, including the notion of being and non-being, birth and death, coming and going, sameness and otherness. And every time we we produce uh, a thought, that thought can have an effect right away on us in the here and the now. And it it can affect uh, the world in which we live right away in the here and the now, and continue to have effect later on. When you produce a thought, after we have produced a thought or a speech, and that will be considered to be our continuation, because we are made of our action. L'homme est la somme de ses actes. And nothing is lost. We agree with uh, Lavoisier that nothing is, is lost. 
and the first law of uh, thermodynamics is that in a secret, in renaissance, you cannot create matter. You cannot destroy matter. You cannot create energy. You cannot make energy disappear. As far as matter and energy is concerned, there is no birth and no death. There is only transformation, the transfer of energy. To transfer energy is possible, but to make energy or matter uh, disappear is impossible. So when you produce a thought, you produce a speech or action, all these are your continuation. And when this body of yours disintegrates, you continue always, because it is impossible for you to die. You are like a cloud. You cannot pass from the realm of non-being to the realm of being. You cannot pass from the realm of being into the realm of being. You are like a cloud. Your nature is the nature of no birth and no death. And you cannot be described in terms of being and non-being. You transcend that. It is interesting to learn the Buddhist uh, insight about time. Suppose this is the present moment. Where you produce a thought. Uh, when you, you say something. As soon as you have done that, the thought that you have produced, the speech that you have produced, go into the past. Because you continue to produce thought and speech. And going to the past does not mean it disappears, it continues on ways. Because it now it has an effect right now and it will have effect later on. It's like a bank account. Everything you do, you think, and you say will be in your account. And there will be retribution. You think that it has come to the past, but in Buddhism we speak of vipaka, It means, uh, it means uh, mm, the maturation, maturation you took. What you produce in terms of thinking, speech, and action will continue to mature. You think that it has come to the to the past. But it will become the future. And one day, when it is totally ripe, you experience again. And that is uh, retribution. Nothing is lost. And that is why we know that we can continue beautifully. 
by taking care, making sure that what we produce in terms of thinking, speech and action should be free from discrimination, anger, fear, despair. A good practitioner produces thinking on the ground of right view. She speaks on the foundation of right view and she acts on the ground of right view. And that is why all these actions only bring about uh, happiness, healing, uh, reconciliation, and so on. So, um, right view can be can be described as uh, the wisdom, the insight that uh, transcends all kind of uh, discrimination, all kind of uh, pairs of opposite, and that can be uh, described also as uh, the insight of interbeing. Interbeing is a wonderful word. In Buddhism, we have the word uh, interpenetration. And we have the word uh, interbeing. Uh, the sensitive term is uh, sahabu. sometimes translated by Kuhu. And we can translate as co-being or inter-being. We have looked into a flower and we have seen that a flower cannot be by herself alone. She has no own being. She has no self-nature. She is made only of no flower element. The same thing is true with everything. The same thing is true with the Buddha. A Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. A lotus is made only of non-lotus elements. And Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements. That is why before you bow to the Buddha, you have to be very careful. You have to see the fact that the Buddha is is made only of non-Buddha elements. You have to see the afflictions, the suffering in him that have been transformed into compassion, understanding, and joy. If you have not seen that, you have not seen the Buddha. And when you look into you, you have to see that you are made of non-you elements, like parents, teachers, 
food, culture, time, space, and so on. You are made only of non-you element. When I was uh, a 16-year-old novice, my teacher told me how to bow to a Buddha, my child, before you bow to the Buddha. You have to see the nature of emptiness of the Buddha. You have, seen, you have to see non-Buddha natures in him. You must see that a Buddha is made of non-Buddha elements, and you are in the Buddha. And when you look at you, you see that you are made of non-you elements, and you can see that the Buddha is in you. You have Buddha nature. If you are only you, and the Buddha is only the Buddha, no communication is possible. Because the Buddha is empty of your own self. And because you are empty of your own self, that is why communication can be possible. And after that, you bow. And communion between you and the Buddha will be real. Otherwise, that is only an imagination. The, 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 the nature of emptiness. So you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to go be, you have to interbe with the whole cosmos. And that is why looking into the flower, you see the whole cosmos inside the flower. flower. And looking into you, you see the whole cosmos in yourself. So getting in touch deeply with yourself, you get in touch with the whole cosmos. You don't have to reach out. And the same thing is true with... um, Perception, to perceive something. You need a perceiver and the object of perception. And if if one of these two things is lacking, a perception cannot be obtained. Usually we think uh, that there is a consciousness inside of us, something subjective, and reaching out to the world of reality outside. But that is wrong view, wrong thinking. In the Buddhist way, we have to see that both subject of perception and object of perception, they rely on each other in order to manifest at the same time. It is like um, this sheet of paper. There is the left side and the right side. And the left and the right inter are. They are inside of us. They are not just enemies, opposite. If you remove the left, the right is no longer there. So the same thing is true with the perception. You perceive the world. You think that there is a, a consciousness that can exist separately from the object of your perception. And you believe that there is a world of perception that can exist independently from your consciousness. And that is the kind of thinking describe it as a wrong view in Buddhism. 
object and subject manifest at the same time. Without this, the other cannot be. That is why the Buddha always remind, remind us, this is because that is. Thinking of the world without consciousness is wrong thinking. Thinking of consciousness without an object is uh, wrong thinking. And we have a school of thought called phenomenology. It's stated very clearly, conscience, c'est toujours conscience de quelque chose. To be conscious is always to be conscious of something. An object and subject of a consciousness, they inter are. You cannot take them apart. They are, they go, they, they inter are, inter are. This afternoon uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, all of us are invited to come here and listen to Professor Tuan, who is an astrophysician and who, uh, who is also a Buddhist practitioner. Uh, I'll be there uh, with you. And uh, tomorrow we will continue this uh, in the upper hamlet. And hope that uh, we can do some work in meditation today if uh, the rain stops. <laughs>